Blockchain technology entered our world at full force, spurring a plethora of cryptocurrencies and leaving economists arguing its impact and potential. Here to give us his perspective on the power of cryptocurrency is Luciano Pesci, founder and CEO of Imperitas, an economic data science company and an economics professor at the University of Utah. Luciano, how are you doing today? Great to have you back on the podcast. I'm glad to be back and be talking about a technology that I think is the most transformative for the near future. Yeah, well, you know, last time we were talking about net neutrality and we were talking about ISPs and their sort of overarching control over all of our internet services. And so it's interesting now that we're talking about a technology that its core function is decentralizing and pulling that power away and giving it to multiple people. So this will be a really interesting convo. I'm curious, what's your overall take on the world's current perception of cryptocurrency? Because I feel like most economists aren't really a fan. I think there is a small, almost religiously excited group of early adopters who are pioneering this technology right now. And they are separated by a mass of the public who just doesn't know anything about this tech because it's one of many techs in a long history of new techs. And they don't understand why it's so transformative. So they're not really paying that much, much attention to it, except for some people on the margin who wanted to bid on Bitcoin and ride that wave. And then you have, on the other far side of the spectrum, a, a very small group. It certainly is outnumbered by those early enthusiasts who absolutely despise this technology. And a lot of them happen to be mainstream economists. And I think there's two reasons. I think the monetary idea that's built into economics that's been taught over the last hundred years is the power of the Fed, the power of controlling the money supply. You're asking economists, macroeconomists, to give up the control of one of their most beloved pieces in their economic puzzle. And then the other part is that most economists don't follow technology unless they're futurists. And those economists who do you know, it's a hobbyish kind of thing. And so overall, I don't think that economists are very good at understanding technology. And that's because even within their own models, technology is seen as something that's exogenous. It's just brought in. It might be studied on the periphery, but we're really concerned about price and quantity and how humans exchange. As far as the general perception, I think it's net positive, And that's why this is growing consensus. The very large convention, blockchain convention that just happened, is a sign that this is growing. This is this technology, despite what someone like Joseph Stiglitz, a uh, Nobel Prize winning economist who also has deep connections with the World Bank, despite what he says about this Bitcoin should be banned, this technology does not seem to be going away anytime soon. And I think it hit a critical mass moment where by its very nature, it is decentralized and distributed. So pretty much the only way to stop this right now would be to just cut all the lines and control the internet, which the government and some of their ISPs, as we talked about last time, actually have the ability to do. But short of doing that, which would cripple the global economy, it'd be akin to murder-suicide. Uh, short of that, this technology is not going to go away. It's just going to continue to grow. I'm pretty excited about how it's going to impact this, what we call today the post-truth world, because that's its very core function. It's something that's verifiable. And before we get into that power of blockchain technology, right, the impact that it could have on the landscape, could you give us, our listeners, a small summary on the technology that makes that possible? Yeah, so this idea is not very old. 
I think the original proposal for a blockchain type system, the blockchain idea was around 91. So about the time that the Terminator 2 movie was coming out, the same idea of in a digital world, we need verifiable documents. We need document authenticity in an electronic world. It was a new problem. The idea itself of blockchain, there were very early adopters who were super excited about this technology. Many of them justifiably because destiny or fate has a great sense of irony, have made enormous fortunes in the last few years just because of their early enthusiasm in their ability to see why this was a transformative technology. Maybe last year, 2016 a little, but definitely 2017, the rest of the nation started to really pay attention to cryptocurrencies, which are built on blockchain technology. And the basic idea behind a blockchain is you've got a block and that block has data and it has a hash. It has the state of things as it is. And then it points to the last hash. So you can always go back in the chain. First off, through cryptography, so through a lot of encryption, but then also through proof-of-work systems that require consensus from peers. This is the distributed, decentralized nature of it. You can't really easily manipulate this system. Because if I just put bad data into the system, there's a 99 other people, other nodes who are working on solving the same problem, and they're going to come back with different results than mine. They're going to come back with the ones that are likely to match the real outcome. Mine was intentionally fake. And so because of that, I'm just going to get voted by consensus out of this. And right now, most of those voting systems are based on a majority, a democratic ideal. And I think that crypto companies in the next two to three years will learn the hard lesson that some decisions require supermajority or unanimous consent. That's the great lessons of political science. And these systems will just continue to improve and continue to improve, and they will transform the world. Yeah, that's really exciting that the technology is changing the landscape so much. So now I'm interested in knowing what kind of power do you think blockchain can really have on the world? Um, Because you're really ascribing a lot of potential to it. What do you think it could look like in the next few years as people continue to adopt it more and it becomes more of a norm? Well, it changes the reason I'm describing so much to it, by the way, is not, it's not just another technology in a long string of technologies. And I think this is, like I said, partly why economists are skeptical of blockchain is they've heard this about the internet. The internet was supposed to revolutionize the world. I think it actually has. I think it's cynical to say it hasn't, but the general consensus right now is it didn't have that much of an impact. And I think that they're just kind of taking that same kind of cynicism when they look at this technology because By changing the nature of trust, and if the system actually is more efficient and creates better outcomes, and this is to be proven, I think, in the next few years, then no one will ever go back to the other kind of approach to the world. Everything will be traceable. And this is just another part of the digital transformation that we've talked about last time on the podcast, and I've talked about in other places. The internet lets us quantify things that we didn't think were previously quantifiable. From that, we learn new theories. We build more elaborate uh, models. Those models do a better job of predicting the world. We smooth out the uncertainty around us, which are all good things. And if blockchain is going to live up to its promise, some of the earliest adopters who are already pioneering these methods, they're going to be looked back as the Fords of their era. These are people who are just were in there at the moment when this major shift happened. And three of my favorites, by the way, to show you some of the other ways beyond a currency, which has always been crypto's primary use case to this point. There are different types of tokens now. So you have things that are called securities tokens. And these are being held strictly for the value of holding them. And this gets to the comparison to tulips that is often brought up. Maybe in the last year you heard this, that 
Bitcoin was just the next tulip bubble. It was going to be bigger than the last tulip bubble. And that part's probably true. It probably is going to be bigger than the because tulips were weren't being exchanged globally in, instantaneously, meaning 10 minutes. And if all you're doing is holding the tulip or the token because you expect its value to go up, then that's a security. And that is subject to the Howey test and that's regulated and cryptocurrencies have fled away from this. Again, because those political motivations for decentralization. And now you've seen the emergence of what are being called utility tokens. And these are tokens who have a work component. Even if they're money, they're stable, there's something that has a, a real function in your day-to-day basis. And some of the others that beyond currency are really interesting to me are Augur, who, by the way, has a really interesting economic equilibrium model about burning and minting. It very much mirrors commodity exchange. It's a very interesting idea. But you go on there and you bet, you could say Luciano is wrong. Someone could go on there right now and create a betting market. I'll bet with them, by the way, if they do this and email it to me. They can go on there and they can create a bet that says Luciano is wrong, blockchain's a bust, and we will know that by January 1st, 2025. And you might have to define out a little bit more details for me to actually jump in. But if we can both agree on those rules, we enter into a smart contract and we both put our money where our mouths are. And whoever wins, the system's going to award it to fairly based on those rules that we agreed upon before we entered into that smart contract. Those are great. Those utility tokens are the future of cryptocurrency. And then you have store of wealth tokens. Oh, I said I would do three. Augur's one. Odeo, by the way, is education. So that's the tracing somebody's education on blockchain, which is really interesting. And then sellblocks.io is one that has been trying to get unofficial prison economies into an official system where everything can be tracked. And those are all utility examples. Now, a utility token and a securities token can both be stores of wealth tokens. You only hold them because you think they're going to go up. You might really believe in sellblock.io's mission, but you might also be hedging a bet that their mission is so impactful that holding one of their tokens, meaning you can join their system, eventually someone else is going to be willing to pay so much for that, that your return on investment is going to be massive. And that's the tension right now in crypto is everyone's been really jumping in in the last year around this store of wealth component, but the next generation of these tokens, which is already happening, are built around utility. What's the purpose? What's the function? And the token just becomes a mechanism to facilitate the exchange between individuals. So yeah, I really liked what you said about the way blockchain technology can apply beyond currency. Could you dive into one of those other examples uh, a little more in depth? Maybe the one uh, where you mentioned ease of access to everyone's education, how you think that's actually going to benefit people and what the technology does to accomplish that. I've been in that education world for many, many years at this point, and it is a system that needs significant overhaul. And Odeo is an interesting idea. You put education on the blockchain, which means that I as an individual, should I consent to giving you access to it, would let you see all of the education I've completed and my performance in it. And you, maybe as an employer, or maybe even as a potential uh, life mate, want to vet my qualities, can look at that if I share it with you and know exactly what I've done. That's a lot more transparency than we have right now into education. In fact, every few years, you're going to see someone taken down for faking a PhD or faking something in their, in their resume. And you can't do that when it's on a blockchain ledger. If I share my information with you, you're going to know exactly what that information is. That information has been vetted by the community. 
The communities use cryptography to exchange the information. And there's a consensus system that says, given all of our feedback, what do we believe is the state of education? And then we assign that to a block. Beyond just transforming, I think this is going to have social impacts that are huge because the costs of education have risen faster than almost anything else in real terms as a share of your wallet in the last two decades than anything else. Not even healthcare has kept pace with this. And so they're jumping into a market that desperately needs transparency, validation, uh, and because that with it brings competition and consensus. And that's how we get to better educational states. So this technology, I mean, in its nature, it makes things more verifiable. The fact that it's spread out to multiple holders of the power, people are a little more trusting in it. Like you said, it redefines this nature of trust in our information. Well, yeah, it's an ironic, it's an ironic redefinition of trust. Go trust a faceless mass of people you don't know out there in the world versus the one group that's right there in front of you that you can touch and feel and know. It's asking you to make that trade-off and people are flocking to it because it has real efficiency gains in systems where trust, especially in that individual node who's going to control everything, are either subject to question or are suspect to corruption. And that's what I think is so exciting about it. And I'm curious to know, what do you think the effect of this is going to be on a global scale? I mean, we sort of already talked about the way it could change up the way people treat currency. I don't know. I mean, if, if a currency becomes this global and this decentralized, it could unify people across the world in really interesting ways. So I'm interested to know what you think about that. There's a couple underlying pieces behind any token that's tied to a cryptocurrency that's based on a blockchain. Those really fall into three groups. You've got governance. What's the legal organization of the company? It's still a company that's offering this up. And you should understand that. It's not the federal government. It's not just some faceless individual. It's, you, it's an organization who's put something together for you to function by. You need to understand it and its business model. And that's all the governance component. Then you're going to have the actual market, the token allocation then you have the treasury management. You, you're going to control actual wealth. They're going to transfer to you in different forms, but you'll control wealth. How do you manage that? And then what are the economic incentives of this system? The utility that people derive from something like education verification. And then what are the network effects? If, my, if I go to a job and I get a job and I get a raise and I'm talking to a coworker and that coworker says, why do you make more than me? And I say, oh, I used Odeo as a blockchain verification of my education. And that's the real difference between us on every other measure. And there's an actual lift in payment as a result. Other people will flock to it very quickly. And so these network effects, these positive externalities, how do you engineer them into these systems ahead of time? And then the holders themselves, this is still something people have to demand. I have to want to hold Bitcoin or Ethereum. But if, if it has those you know, three parts really clearly, then people do adopt it. And we're actually seeing the second wave. We're already past the first wave. People are, if you're wondering if this technology is going to survive, the answer is already yes, because we've moved from first generation to second generation. So you could be questioning whether we get to third generation. I'm willing to put money on a blockchain bet that we're going to get to 100 generation. And those second generations are being built on top of the blockchain's uh, ERC-20 protocol with Ethereum or with the Bitcoin blockchain, you can just build new technologies on top of them. You can just say, I have a business idea 
And because of that, I'm going to build it on one of these blockchains and just use part of their blockchain, your infrastructure is taken care of. The initial currency idea of Bitcoin is money is now giving way in mass to this idea that no, the blockchain technology through tokens allows for really efficient exchange. And you brought up the national boundaries part. And I think this gets to why this technology is the future. And Spera.io is a good example of this. They're a Medici Ventures company that's Overstock.com's portfolio company for blockchain technology, which they started decades ago. They've been involved in this for a long time. They're some of those who are now making a lot of money because of it. It was one of the first e-commerce places where you could pay in Bitcoin. Well, they have whole investments in blockchain companies. And one of those is for freelancers. And one of the realities right now of education, to bring it back, is that it's not hard to get an Ivy League education anywhere in the world, in part because the Ivy League institutions of education are putting their stuff up on YouTube. You can go watch, just go look up Yale Open Course Game Theory. You can watch the entire semester of one of the best educations in game theory that is available to you, and it is for free. Okay, well, you can do that in the United States, and you can do that in Thailand. And now that person in Thailand has those human skills. Their human capital has gone up a lot, and people want to use them. And they are willing on a wage basis because of the real value of money in the rest of their economy, costs of living, considerations, all of those things, is just much lower than somewhere like the United States. In a similar way that living in Utah is much less money in real terms than living in New York City, because more people want to live in New York City, and it's scarce. Well, I can just go across national borders thanks to the internet and hire this individual in Thailand who has just the same skills, and I can get my job done for a lot less than I needed, and that increases my profitability and makes it so I can invest in more R&D. My company can grow through marketing. Well, how do I pay that individual? That's really hard still. And you break down those international payment barriers by using crypto. And so you just go outside of the existing systems instantaneously exchange and the work continues to go. And so because of that, companies have been, this is helping the outsourcing movement, which is just part of globalization. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting application. Now people can more easily connect with other qualified individuals from across the world to get their jobs done. I mean, that's what makes the money churn, right? Having someone that will do it for a little less, but it's just as qualified. And with blockchain technology, it's easy to verify that these people are qualified. You're not just paying less for something you hope will be the same quality. Um, so it affects everything. It's, it's really, really interesting stuff. What I'm saying is that for the person who's in Thailand, they are just as excited about the job that you are offering them, and they are going to make a good amount of money in real terms because of the work or they wouldn't voluntarily enter into that exchange. It is not the result of these other conditions that somehow you're just wage manipulating. They don't have the same cost of living. And there's a whole bunch of historical and political reasons for that. But the fact is they have the skills to do the job they want to do the job. They will do the job very well, and they will enjoy the wealth of that job very well. And the only thing standing between them sometimes is PayPal, who says, ah, they're in Pakistan, so they're terrorists, so you can't pay them. That, that happens. That story is very common. People said, we need a system that can't be seized by the intermediary. We need something that's distributed. We need something that's decentralized. We need something that has consensus. We need something that uses data and is extremely transparent. And this is why it's going to kill governments. I wrote an article that's on LinkedIn called Why Crypto Will Kill Governments. 
And it's because it challenges the idea of the money supply. So, of course, someone like Joseph Stiglitz is out there saying we have to ban this. Those who are saying ban this technology are saying we cannot take the risk to put power back into the hands of individuals that are also spread apart the rest of the world. And I think that if you believe that to be true, it is a very cynical assessment of human nature. It is not one that will lead to better products being built, because that's the other thing. That graphic designer in Thailand might do a better job than the person in the United States with the same education. And you might get the benefits of that as a result. And you might build a better product as a result. And you might capture more market shares as a result. And the profitability of your organization, meaning the value you're adding to the world, might go up. And if you can't pay that individual from the beginning of that process, then you just stop all of those other things. You set it on some other path. And so at the end of this, it's the ideas. This is why I love crypto. It's these ideas. It's just, the token is just a way for individuals spread all over the world to share their ideas about what ways to improve education, ways to bet on things in the future, ways to fix prison economies. These are just ideas that people are sharing. And for the first time, it's really happening quickly across international borders. And I think that that on the whole is just going to usher in a better world. Every time in history that we have seen economic borders, political borders fall and economic integration follow, the scale has gone up, not down. If you look at the real terms economically, the improvement to the quality of life as a result of industrialization that has been largely concentrated in what we call the first world, the United States, Canada, uh, Western Europe. If you want to just look at just within that data set for the globe, how much of an improvement in the average quality of life has happened? And it's about a hundredfold increase. And I think that we're going to look back at that and laugh at it, just like we laugh at when bread used to cost five cents and say, you know, we're getting a thousand a year. We're getting 10,000 a year right now. And that's because of all the data that underlines all these digital systems that are built on consensus and transparency. It will lead to better information. That information will facilitate more valid exchange. And we as humans will share our skills and integrate. And eventually we'll get off this planet and we'll go populate Mars. And then we'll be talking about multiple global GDPs. And I think that's the future that crypto helps contribute to rather than the idea of what we've tried for the last hundred years might stabilize inflation or deflation specifically. And that's why we give all power to the central authority. So yeah, really interesting stuff, Luciano. And I really want to thank you for coming on the podcast and helping us better understand the complexities of cryptocurrency. And I, I really enjoyed your take. And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes from here. Well, thank you again for having me. This is a wonderful podcast that you put on. If you need me, you know where to find me. Absolutely. And thank you everyone for listening to today's podcast. And if you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries to subscribe to podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin. Till next time.